0: Hey. Well, how are you? Oh, there you go. I don't want to miss the top of your hair. No. Oh, is like that just a hair. yeah.
1: Good.
0: Yeah, I mean you look great. I, I
1: thought do. it was just audio.
0: No, it is. I need it, to the
1: top of my head if it's just audio.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, um, um if uh, using tiny little clips for promotion, you know, might be fun. that would be manageable. A uh, manageable piece of stuff. So, how are you doing
1: today? Good. I'm very good. It's been a good day. It's uh, it's what October seventeenth. It's a Monday, and it snowed in Ohio today. Not a lot, but it was it was coming down and and bouncing off my windshield when I was driving. So I was not terribly excited about that. Oh, good Lord.
0: Well. Well, well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining on no thanks, but yes, chill conversations with splendid people, people who have what they have in common is they've overcome a chaotic relationship with substances. And now they are all kinds of awesome and extraordinary and stuff like that. And we get together and we just, uh, we talk about things and stuff. We get a little heavy sometimes, but for the most part, it's just about celebrating, uh, life. And all that stuff so welcome
1: well thank you for having me donald mcdonald this is <laughs> a privilege
0: thank you, china. well let's start <laughs> off what why don't you introduce yourself to everybody
1: all right i'm china Darrington. i am a person in long-term recovery from lots of different things that include substance use disorders severe mental illness complex trauma and my story also includes some episodes of human trafficking um, I currently work as a director of advocacy and public policy for an organization called Thrive Peer Recovery Services. Um, we do peer support all through the state of Ohio. We try to put a person with lived experience in a place that it's needed with somebody a little earlier in their journey as often as possible. So we're in, you know, uh, I think like 24 emergency departments around the state. We're in some specialty docket. Um courts, we're in some correctional facilities, and of course, we're in the community. Um, i also sit on the board of directors for a brand new recovery community organization in my home county, which is Summit County, Ohio, the Akron area called the Summit Recovery Hub.
0: Oh, man. I love me some RCOs.
1: I know. It's very exciting.
0: That's cool. So you, <laughs> you, got, you have a brick and mortar place to visit?
1: we have an RCO at this point that hopefully within the next 12 months, we're going to have an RCC. So we'll have the brick and mortar part of it, but it's just a matter of getting, we've got the community stakeholder uh, engagement. Everybody is giving us green lights. We've had it. We had an overdose awareness day that was pretty well received with over about 300 community members impacted by opiate loss or overdose loss. Um, and, you know, it seems like everybody from our, you know, our county behavioral health boards to our executive office, to our treatment facilities, our courts, jails, like everybody is like, we need this. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and we've got some good people. We, Summit County is very rich in recovery providers. So we're getting all the leadership together to basically say, okay, this is what I do best. And this is what you do best. Mm-hmm. and And let's just go ahead with it.
0: Oh, that is awesome. Not everybody knows the difference between RCOs and RCCs. RCOs are great. You're engaged in some education and advocacy, Mm -hmm. um, authentically representing the lived experience as it's represented in your community. And you may one day open up that RCC. So when Donald McDonald comes and visits your neck of the woods, which I hope to, I can come get me some wifi and some decent coffee and some
1: decent coffee. Yeah. Some, and some good conversation.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I dig it the most. Um, for sure. Well, you, um, you talked a lot about what you do and all that stuff. God, I am, my brain is a little,
1: how did we meet? Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, oh, God. So that's the funny thing about how we meet. Um, when I first started this, it, it, uh, it was a video podcast, and, and I could throw in a picture of maybe the, the recovery walk we were at together five years ago, or maybe the conference we met at, you know, a few years ago. But more and more, it's, uh, yeah. it's digital friends like it's yourself. We, we, yeah. met, we met, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm following you on social media. I'm digging what's coming um, I
1: think I started stalking you first because I found you. I like yeah, you I did. Um, <laughs> I, I ran across uh, the O'Neill Institute's Recovery Policy Collaborative, and I heard some audios with Shelly Wiseman and Brandon and, um, and you. And so I basically started going on LinkedIn and any contact emails I could find and reaching out and saying, hey, you had some good stuff I was hearing about. And, uh, and I I do this too. And I want to be, I want to be part of the conversation. I want to know what's going on. Um, You know, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the state of Ohio, but, you know, working at the, at the federal level is, is, you know, I, I do it, but I represent Ohio. So being able to strategically form alliances and be able to develop the conversation and advocacy initiatives and, you know, how we're going to you know, try to arm wrestle policy into this shape or that, you know, that, that just helps us advance recovery supports in general.
0: Indeed. Well, I, I'm delighted to hear that. And, and <laughs> we uh, we came together, together at the O'Neill Institute, Georgetown Law, a bunch of people in recovery and leadership uh, across the country wanting to come together and create this little tank of thinkers and mm-hmm. help each other solve our problems in our necks of the woods and stuff. And but then we uh, we decided that we needed to uh, expand and create mm-hmm. opportunities to get a bigger band of coyotes and and be policy focused. So we created the recover the addiction policy scholars. Yes, uh, we had folks apply, and and we're going to keep doing that and uh, and building that out. So thank you for drawing yeah. attention to that. But then I hit you up, mm-hmm. and I have my eye on you for a minute because you know when it was. Um, also you're doing strong work advocating for particularly marginalized folks. Um, I hit you up for that. But when I was thinking about um, my video podcast, uh, I saw you, you also had this background uh, on a bicycle. And I I just love having the color,
1: you know, You've been Googling, Googling. you've been doing the Google. (laughs) Yeah. So i I've had I've had a number of lives in my fifty two years, and uh, one of them in my teenage years was riding BMX freestyle. So those are those twenty inch bicycles, and doing all sorts of crazy little tricks on them, and and riding the the half pipes and stuff like that. So I was um, the first female sponsored freestyler back in nineteen eighty four. And actually, I have a I have a fun side note. If you really Um, want to hear this, I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what was a national um, anti drug movement (laughs) in the eighties? Do you remember that? First Lady Nancy Reagan had an initiative called Just Say No. say no. And I was a BMX writer on many just say no shows <laughs> high as a kite. <laughs> so I don't know. And I don't think I was the only one. So right on. I'm not sure if we were really taking that message seriously or if um, anyone else. It,
0: it, uh, it, it's not a very effective message. It, it mm-hmm. comes from the, the moral theoretical model of substance use disorder where drug use disorders are a choice. And yes, and even an assumption that using drugs is always a choice in a culture Uh that celebrates drug use
1: and yeah, and avoidance just avoidance of uncomfortable things. It's not you know whether you choose a substance or a bad relationship or scratch off lottery tickets or 19 hours of Netflix in a row. Like, we are not a culture that likes to face uncomfortable things,
0: no. I mean, who, who likes that, but we're we're not a culture that really, um, values, uh, building in those skills and qualities in youth and, and as a culture practicing those. No, um, you're right. So
1: you and I turned that into a career option.
0: (laughs) We did. We said yes. And, uh, no thanks, but yes, no. So yeah, that's great. Great background. I hit you up, um, for my day job, we were, mm-hmm. we are building out some learning management system content, creating a module to better engage with, to better reach, to more effectively and less harmfully work with pregnant and parenting people who use drugs. And uh, did an interview with you and, and the content, the fire that you shared with us is helping to inform that content for all of our rural consumers around the country through through our HRSA funded project. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. I'm pregnant and parenting people are my, that's, it's my origin story. I was both pregnant and parenting when <laughs> I was introduced to substance use recovery. And, you know, I had given up all hope that, that any change was going to be possible and um, being able to be have that restored and then see just time and time again, other pregnant parenting people that I just fell in love with. And, and they kept self sabotaging and they kept falling back into old, old dysfunctional relationships and, and I was like, you know, we can do better than this, like we can take better care of these people by going a little deeper with them by providing a a little more integrated service, a little more comprehensive care and a little more kindness. Because they've been through a lot. Like they didn't do this because it was the the best thing for them. (laughs) Like it wasn't their best option. They were defaulting to survival mode most of the time.
0: I mean, you're giving me these, these, these just loving goosebumps right now because the the knee-jerk response in systems of injustice and systems of lack of care is, why are you doing this? And why don't you do better? And and yeah. you went to, how can we be better? How can we better serve
1: mm-hmm.
0: our people? And, and, oh man, that just, that's the game changer is, is acknowledging our short mm-hmm. systems and, and acknowledging our complicity in creating uh, the, 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 the risk that goes into, you know? Uh, yeah. You, that's wonderful. And, and you shared so much good stuff with us and, and Trying to get that get that off the ground. Is there any any fire that you want to share with us now about um, how we can improve systems of uh, uh, as as we intersect with pregnant and parenting people who use drugs and cause less harm, create more opportunity?
1: Just realizing that we all bring our own kind of bias to when we see somebody doing something like that, and and that that substance use disorder it affects the brain and. It, comes out in the behavior. So sometimes you see horrible things if they're language or behavior that happens with a pregnant or parenting person uh, within their family system. And we, we instantly want to go bad, bad parent, you know, bad parents, they're, they're horrible. Yeah. Their kids deserve better. But we have to realize like when we, when we instantly go to separation removal of, of those family dynamics, Um, we create like lasting scars in our generations of society. And I think we've done it for so long. I mean, we're like five generations into this and we're seeing it constantly, continually get worse. And we've got to, we've got to just stop Stop. and pause Mm -hmm. and ask the people involved what they need and then be able to develop the systems to respond to those tangible needs. And they're not it's not rocket science. It's really not. It's just basic levels of care and decency. It's access to quality continuum of care, and it's not you know I'm going to send you to detox for three to five days or treatment for thirty days. This is a chronic health condition, and we need to treat it across the lifespan. Across the lifespan,
0: in, in a in a participatory fashion, mm-hmm. uh, respecting yeah. the people we serve and respecting their autonomy and and the the potency of, of their uh, experience and wisdom to inform good practice on our parts.
1: Like you said,
0: ask them, ask them, ask us what we need. That's awesome. Oh God. I love it so much. Well, that's hopefully what we're moving towards. Um, You know, if we keep up the good work we're doing. Um, So we're speaking about chaotic relationships with substances, substance use disorder, people who use drugs. Do you identify as a person in recovery from from substance use disorder? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm definitely a person. I identify as a person in recovery from everything. But primarily, the first thing that brought me to my knees was my substance use disorder. The first thing that brought me to the awareness of child welfare and court systems was substance use disorder. The criminality of it uh, and the impairment of my behavior and my inability to consistently abstain, these are, you know, the basic diagnostic criteria for substance use disorder. Like all that was, okay, um, we're going to treat that first. But it was only when my substance use disorder, when the people treating it went from the question, what do you use to why do you use, that things started to get better. That's it.
0: Why? Why yeah. do people use drugs? Why do people have problematic or chaotic or pathological relationships with drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yep. drug are you using or, or what the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, being in recovery means I'm not impulsively trying to fill a dysfunctional or a dysregulated system inside myself with something external to satisfy it. I'm not, hopefully not misusing people, places, or things.
0: So that, that kind of answers the question in, in a way, what is recovery? Yeah. And what does recovery mean to you that you're not uh, depending upon substances, behaviors, external influences, internal inputs, or whatever to to do what? Say that, say that again. what what?
1: Mm, what yeah, I'm not trying mean? to compulsively fill a dysfunctional or a dysregulated system inside myself with something external to satisfy it and that I aim to constantly make small changes to improve my physical, emotional, social, and environmental aspects to my life, and that I work to improve my quality of life among the dimensions of health, home, purpose, and community, and that I don't get arrested for running around the streets naked and delusionally ranted quite as much anymore.
0: Quite as much
1: quite as yep. much not that a bad day i might be naked on youtube but not today donald mcdonald come on now not today
0: everybody everybody be googling that now okay
1: so
0: um that was fire sister god thank you and, and you did bring in um you know this this um consensus stakeholder engagement definition from SAMHSA, where they talked about it after the definition of recovery that
1: you push back on that because I certainly am what I'm getting oh Ohio is a you know I'm, I'm from Akron like I'm from the AA capital and like when when I start saying like you know uh process of change to improve one's health and wellness uh you know make uh strive towards self-sufficiency and and um you know, fulfill your purpose in life. People yep. are like, no, it's about not using substances. It's about abstinence. And I'm like, no, nope, it's about small changes. Yeah. <laughs> I love and, sense uh, of
0: definition, you know, 10 years ago, stakeholders came together and informed uh, it and they just reconvened in DC, a bunch of, uh, of our people. Uh-huh. Does, it, does it still hold up? And I know some people were holding their breath, like, are the, is it going to get torn apart? And it was not, it held up. And you mentioned, the dimensions of wellness that support a life in recovery: home, health, community, and purpose. Why do people use drugs, and why can't? How can people sustain a manageable relationship or an abstinent relationship? Home, health, community, and purpose. I love. Yeah, yep. well, there is there is resistance in some cultures um, that 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 tend to see you know uh, simply not using substances as as the benchmark. Um, but you know, I, I mean I you, just you mentioned you. that your relationship, you no longer depend on those. So mm-hmm. I mean, not using likely is a part of your definition, but it's such a tiny little piece of it.
1: Well, I I think, you know, like during the pandemic, um, like I I uh I lost a lot of weight during the pandemic. I was like some people gained weight, but I like used it I used the difference in my schedule going from running from one place to another to sitting in one place for a period of time to investigate my relationship with with physical wellness. And I said, you know, I'm doing really good on recovery on emotional wellness and social wellness and community and my environmental, you know, quality of life's good, but physically I'm I've got some markers that I, I'm mm. a little concerned about. And so I started just applying the basic principles I understand stood about substance use recovery to physical health recovery. And I ended up losing about 90 some pounds wow. and um, and dramatically improved my health. And so I, you know, when I look at that physical, emotional, social, and environmental, and then for some people spiritual, um, you know, yeah. that it's, in, you know, any small motion, like When I lost a half a pound a month I was thrilled because it was going in the right direction and not in the wrong direction and then when it went in the wrong direction I I gave myself some grace and learned from the experience and doubled down to try and improve the next month but I see the same thing with substance use disorder like not everybody's going to have every day be a great day or every day be an abstinent day but am I reducing the harm? Am I learning from my experience? And am am I able to sit in my own skin, in a way that that I can say I'm doing all right today?
0: That, you know, that is so splendid because so many of our listeners can relate to trying to manage. Their relationship with food, mm-hmm. with, with healthy activities, and understanding that it's kind of any positive change, it's in fits and starts, it's a mm-hmm. journey, not a destination, it's it's progress. Yet for some reason, when we turn our eyes towards drugs, mm-hmm. the, it's the, all the, or nothing.
1: The morality,
0: <laughs> it's the moral theoretical model. It's we're choosing yeah. to be bad, so why not choose to be good? But it's it's just like our relationship with, with all of our health and behavior. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. a wonderful example for folks. Anything we can do to increase empathy and understanding in folks who have not compulsively sought and used substances despite consequences like us, they yeah. certainly have some inkling of what it is to be uh, wrestling with their goals and, and, and falling short from time to time. And
1: Yeah.
0: Right on. Well, you bring up uh health and wellness and you know we talked about you being a, a young and flexible biker
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but what what do you uh what do you do for fun what, what do you do for fun and and i guess sometimes we end up in pandemic culture now we're talking about how that relates to self-care as well but what do you do for kids?
1: My self-care. Now I, you know, I I do basic stuff like, you know, I sleep eight hours a night and I eat good food and I try to move my body a good few times a week. But yeah. my self-care, the thing that I do that gives me more joy than anything else is a foster neonatal critical care orphan baby kittens. these kittens are the hottest messes you've ever seen i get the sickest and i get the most frail little guys and i have to keep them in an incubator in a controlled environment and bottle feed them every two to three hours and then hopefully i raise them up to be fat and happy little healthy chunks. And about eight weeks later, I watched them all go to hopefully great homes. So I work for a rescue that, uh, you know, does incredibly good vetting about, and then I post all these stupid stories on Instagram about the kittens as they grow and develop. So people fall in love with them and uh, they are the best thing for my mental health. And uh, this year, because I took this new job at Thrive, I elected not to take on the orphan bottle baby kittens because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to bring those little babies and their incubator to my office up in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. But um, I've committed that my mental health suffered for not doing that. (laughs) So so we're going back next year to uh, as soon as kitten season starts, I'm going to have myself a a pocket full of kitten on a regular basis.
0: That's beautiful. That's wonderful. I know. So you say oh, all the normal stuff, but then then this. This is the baby f-
1: kittens. Baby that's kittens. my jam. Right on. <laughs> oh.
0: I you know, you described that so vividly. I was there. I was
1: seeing
0: yeah. it. So that's that's great. Good. So you're you're finding um you're finding a way to to feed your soul and
1: yeah
0: and um find balance in your life because we you're you're in some heavy work.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I've worked with you know I work with sick, sick, broken people during the day trying to find their ways out of mazes and running into systems that aren't terribly friendly to them. And then I come home to these little these little eight ounce things that all they want is just give me some milk and 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 clean me up. (laughs) So it's very simple. It's very restorative.
0: That's that's great. Hey, I have a question for you though. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think you're pretty cool. What kind of music do you dig?
1: Mm, I am a weird. <laughs> I used to, all right. So in, in my in my younger days, I was definitely the industrial um, electro music. Spent a lot of time in, you know, the middle of the night and warehouse parties and things like that under the influence of lots of substances. And then I got into recovery and policy work, and all of a sudden I started listening to folk music on NPR, and, and now I'm like, I've got like this Norwegian, I don't know how to describe it. I find the weirdest stuff nowadays, and if you would pull up, I should probably give you my Spotify password so that you can just listen to some of the weird stuff, but it's just, it's all, it's just anything that connects with the human soul trying to get through the day and do a little better tomorrow, and maybe lift a hand up to the next person. You get it now. You, get, you know, I didn't get it in my youth too, but I get it now. Come on, people, now. <laughs> Smile on your brother. I know. I get together. God help me with NPR. Yeah.
0: Folk folk. <laughs> right on. I mean, you know, they were facing an, an insane war and mm-hmm. racism and sexism. I mean, and I, we're still doing that. But so we got a lot in common with them. Yep. The folk heroes. Cool. That's really groovy. Um, well, uh, I really want to come up to your neck of the woods. Um,
1: soon. We're going to have a recovery awareness day on February, either either February 11th or February 18th, where I'm going to bring together a, a, a good smattering of public officials and first responders, and judiciary and you know, all of the muckety mucks and the, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna school them on what recovery oriented systems of care are and how it is different from crisis and and or treatment Mm -hmm. and that it needs its own independent funding streams Mm -hmm. to support it.
0: Yeah. Get get your ROSC on. Yeah. So that's coming up and and where can folks learn more about um, what's going on with your org and with your advocacy and all that business?
1: Well, that is something I'm doing for that Summit Recovery Hub, and I'm just, you know, we're an all-volunteer board, so I just take my experience in advocacy, kind of, you know, anti-stigma, public awareness, um, and a little bit of the policy influence and massaging, and so I'm I'm just kind of doing it in my home county. The website for the Summit Recovery Hub is summitrco.org. And if you want to know about what I do with Thrive, you can go to thrivepeersupport.com.
0: All right. And I imagine uh, there's some some social media activity as well. There
1: is. If you go to Summit Recovery Hub or Summit Recovery, it'll it, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.
0: Right on. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to check it out for sure. Um, Excellent. That's cool. Hey, listen, Um, <clears throat> we always uh, kind of... Uh, finish up with a little bit of a final message for folks. Do you, Do you, uh, did we miss anything? You got a final message you want to share with people? I
1: think the, if anything is a takeaway is that what recovery-oriented systems of care is, is not rocket science. It's just good common sense for a community and a nation to want to take care of its people in the most dignified way possible. You know, and that it's not hard to do that. And it's actually a lot more cost-effective to do it at at the mild, moderate, you know, not acute intervention level. Um, and our communities are already paying for this stuff. We're already paying for emergency response and law enforcement response and court proceedings, corrections. And you know, if we can just kind of take what we're already paying and reallocate it for this newer, kinder, more trauma-informed and, and more comprehensive way, I think everybody will be happy. The people who are counting the pennies, the people who are writing the policy, the people who are running for office—I think everybody will get the outcomes that they say they want.
0: It's not rocket science.
1: They gotta be brave enough to give it a chance, though.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh, I think that's a great, great note to end on. Well, it's—it's it's been a little slice of heaven, homie.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's a privilege being here. Yeah.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Well, that was it. Okay anything?
1: Nope. Die. Done. <laughs>